Thank you, praise team, and good morning. So glad that you are here, and if you're watching online, I, I want to say thank you for joining with us today. Uh, I want to talk to you for a few moments this morning about the power of unity. I know that yesterday marked the 20th anniversary of 9-11. It's one of those dates that you, if you're old enough, if you're alive and, and you remember where you were, what you were doing, and when it happened. Uh, it, was, it was stunning. A lot of us don't remember or don't recall or we seem to have forgotten that, that prior to 9-11, on 9-10, America was a little bit disarrayed. We were in conflict with one another. You remember the term hanging chads? Hello, Florida. Uh, yeah, we were, we were a nation divided on, on 9-10. We were still reeling from a very contentious uh, election, our presidential election in 2000. And yet, 24 hours later, we stood united. 24 hours later, I still remember... Uh, Congress, and you say, well, Congress is really divided. Well, they were really divided then, but on, on 9-10, but on 9-11, I remember Congress, both sides of the aisle, standing arm in arm, shoulder to shoulder, and they, one of the congressmen began to sing, God bless America, and everybody was singing in unison. It, the reality was that we realized that we had a common enemy. That nation, that nation, our nation was focused on at that moment what was truly important, and that was the survival of our people. We knew about the enemy, but we really just didn't take them seriously until we were attacked on our own soil. And we know over the, over the next few days and months, America was in unison. They were focused. We were focused. We were one nation. And yet here we are 20 years later. Can you believe it's been 20 years? And none of us look any older. That is so incredible. Uh, 20 years later, we are a nation with great division again. Isn't that amazing? 20 years later, we have racial tension, we have social class separation, we have the vaxxed versus the non-vaxxed, we have a political affiliation, uh, you know, we're on one side or the other, we're left or we're right or we're up or we're down, and, and, and America is under attack from the same enemy that they had 20 years ago, and you say, what, uh, jihadists are attacking America? And I'm saying, no, it's the same enemy before 9-11, that is the enemy, the real enemy of, of this nation, the real enemy of humanity, and that is the adversary of our soul, the devil. The devil wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy humanity. It's not just America. It's the world. The America is just one area in which the adversary is trying to steal 
and kill and destroy. The real adversary, the enemy of our soul, wants to destroy us by dividing because he understands that when any group of people are united for a common cause, great things happen. I want you to focus on that. Jesus said this, he said, a nation divided cannot stand. Matthew 12, 25 says, Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. It was true 2,000 years ago when it's true today. You ever... You ever uh, argue with your spouse and then you're wanting to find peace in the house and it's nowhere to be found until resolution comes about, until that family is unified. And it's the same with a nation, but we need to understand that that division is a tool of the adversary to tear down and to break apart people and nations and families. That's what the adversary uses. And this is how division is created. It's created through, number one, fear. World War II, the, the concentration camps that we have placed Japanese-American citizens in was a result of fear. And there are many, many, many examples of all nations across this world in all different aspects of time that have acted or reacted out of fear and have caused division because they were afraid mostly of the unknown. Hate is another way that you can cause division. Jealousy, coveting what others might have, being jealous of somebody else or, or something else. And inequality, the haves versus the have-nots. We see all of these things just boiling in our culture, not only in the U.S., but around the world. And, and we look at it and we say, what is happening? And I can tell you what's happening, though I'm not a prophet and I'm not the son of a prophet. I do know this, that when you see fear and hate and jealousy and inequality raging and running rampant around the world, the adversary of humanity is working overtime. He's trying to destroy you. He's trying to destroy humanity. And you say, well, why does he want to do that? Because he hates humanity. The adversary, the devil, Never at one time was ever called a child of God. He is a created being by God. He was created to worship God and decided that he wanted that worship for himself. And then he conspired against God, took one-third of the angelic host with him, and had a war in heaven, and God drop-kicked him out of heaven with one-third of the angels. He wanted the, the preeminence, and he wanted to be God. He wanted to be worshipped. And the thing is that what he 
what he is looking at now, he sees humanity that dropped the ball in the Garden of Eden. And he, and he looked and he saw that, that God became man and, and walked among us and Christ died for our sins. And we are called the children of the living God. He knows that God loves us, that God moved heaven and earth to save us. And he hates you with a passion. When the adversary tempts your life to say, I want to, I, I think I'm going to be jealous, or I think I'm going to hate that person, or I think I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, uh, you know, buy into the haves and the have-nots, and I'm going to, I'm going to protest against this, or I'm going to protest against that, you need to understand where the root of that division comes from. It comes from the adversary of our soul. Do you realize that God hates division? You say, well, God doesn't hate many things. Well, in Proverbs 16, or 6, 19, the Bible tells us that God hates seven things. Whew, I'm glad my name's not there. He says a couple of things that he hates is a false witness that, that speaks lies. And the person that sows division among their brethren... God cannot stand division. God cannot stand it when people are divided because Christ didn't come to steal and kill and destroy. He came to give life and give more abundantly. He came to unify us and to bring us under, uh, under uh, Christ, under the, the knowledge of who Christ is, that we are one family. We are born in one spirit because there is one spirit. There's one baptism. There's one in God and Father above all and through all and in us. All. It's a southern term, in y'all. We have to understand that it's the adversary that, that causes division. Christ came to set us free and to redeem us. And our nation, this nation, or any nation, will rise and fall based solely not on what Washington can do to defeat the enemy, because it doesn't matter how many laws that we pass against fear or against hate or against jealousy or against inequality. You have to understand that, that the issues that we face in, a, in, this, in our social understanding today cannot be fixed by Washington because they are sin issues and they have to be fixed and they have to be changed and they have to be transformed by Jesus Christ. If you want to get people to love one another, get them to come to the foot of the cross. If you want people to treat each other with respect, come to the foot of the cross. If you want to see people stand shoulder to shoulder, doesn't matter what, what part of society they come from, then we need to stand at the foot of the cross. The cross is the great equalizer. Washington can't defeat the enemy. Political affiliation won't do it. You, I don't care if you're left, you're right, in between, it doesn't matter. It, it, we cannot fix things by political viewpoints. It all comes through Christ. Social distancing won't keep this virus out. This virus of sin, the only way to defeat the enemy is for God's people to be unified on the message of Christ crucified.
And when God's people get together, when God's people let set aside their differences and they become unified and they become focused, that's when great things happen. But God's people have to realize that the enemy is is the adversary of our soul. It's not what society is saying. It's not what society is dictating. It's, it's, it's the adversary. It's the devil that steals and kills and destroys. And when the church realizes that we have one purpose, we have one mission, and that's to go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. And when we make that our priority, great things will happen. When we become one, one voice and one purpose and one action, nothing, I mean nothing, can stop us. Unity. I want to talk about unity. The state of being uni- united or joined as a whole. This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. I believe I have that on, on screen. It says, though one may be overpowered, Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. What what is the writer of Ecclesiastes telling us? He's given us a poetic understanding of the importance of unity in the human dynamic of relationships. When you're standing alone, if you're standing by yourself, you can be easily defeated. But if you have a friend with you, Two are better than one. And the Bible says when there's three, that's hard to deal with. What he's trying to help us understand is that unity brings strength. When you're you're bond together, when you're united together, and and you're united for a common cause, and you're united for a common purpose, that unity binds us together, and, and it makes us so powerful that the adversary cannot stop us. God's people can defeat the adversary when they are acting as one. Think about the children of Israel when they marched around Jericho. They marched as one. They worked in unison. They did everything together. And, it, and the walls fell down. I want to ask you today, what walls do you have in your life that you would like to see come down? And do you have unity, unison in your life? See, Israel, Israel walked across Uh, the Jordan River and Israel took Jericho and Israel was a mighty force to be reckoned with because they were unified they were focused on one thing and it wasn't until Achan broke that disunity that they suffered defeat in the New Testament we see a, a, a tragic story of Ananias and Sapphira that, that had, had some land and they decided to sell the land and where, where a lot of people were just buying or selling things and giving it to the apostles so everybody could have food to eat. They decided that they would keep a part of that back and they would give a part, but their, their, their fallacy was that they, want, they lied 
to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit, and they said, this is everything I have. And, and you say, well, why, why would God strike both of them dead? Because they lied to the Holy Spirit? Yes, because they were, they were focused on themselves, and they, were, they weren't focused on everyone around them. They wanted to look the part. They wanted to act the part, but in their hearts, they were not the part, and God knew that they, he needed them to be unified. The church in its very beginning was focused on unity. It was Christ crucified. The first day of the church in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people came to Christ. 3,000 people said, I'm all in. And from that day on, it was house to house breaking bread and fellowship. What is fellowship? It's uniting together for a common cause, for a common goal. When God's people begin to understand that through the blessings of unity, when we act as one, when we take Matthew 28, 19 for, into our heart and we say, if God is for us, who can be against us? That there's nothing that the adversary can throw at you that will cause you to stumble, that will cause you to fall, that will trip you up. If God's people understand who he is and he has commissioned us to go into all the world and he is with us wherever we go, you will be unstoppable. Psalm 133 tells us of some blessings about, uh, of, of unity. He said, how good and pleasant it is when brothers live together in unity. This was written in a time when it was more male-focused. If it was written today, it would be how good and pleasant it is for for family or for people to live together in unity. He said it is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, even upon the collar of his robes. And, and he says it's the, as the dew of Hermon that was falling on Mount Zion. There, for there the Lord bestows his blessings, even life forevermore. And he says, well, what do, you, what do you take from that passage of Scripture? Number one is this, that unity brings God's presence and God's blessings. Unity brings God's blessings and God's presence. If you want to have uh, God's presence and God's blessings in your house, be unified as a family. Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Because the Bible says that, that if you're in disagreement with your spouse, and I don't know why I'm on this, this one's free, but if you're in disagreement with your spouse, that God can't hear your prayers because you're divided. But when you're unified, God hears your prayers. Unity brings God's presence. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, and if, and if unity brings His presence, and where His presence is, there is freedom. If you want freedom, get united. Isn't that amazing? Hello? Hello? All right. Unity not only brings God's presence and blessings, but unity brings faith and life. Camaraderie inspires courage. 
and face. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three friends. A three-strand cord. And yet here they are in Babylon. They, they've been taking more than likely during the 606 B.C. raid. And, and, and they are trained in the ways of Babylon. And they are, they are leaders in, in, in Babylon. They serve the, the Babylonian kingdom. And yet when, when Nebuchadnezzar sets up a statue and says everybody's going to worship, the three of them stand united. I wonder sometimes, would they have stood by themselves? We don't know. We get to ask him when we get there. But I do know this. Sometimes when you're the only person on one side of, a, of an argument or one side of a, of a circumstance or situation, it feels lonely. But if you have a couple of others that are standing with you and you're in agreement, it's easier to stand and say, this is what I believe. And together, the three of them went before the king. They said, I'm not going to be careful in how I answer you because I know, I know the God I serve and he can deliver us. But even if he doesn't, we will never serve your God. And this is where the church of God must come in to being, that we need to understand that we must return as a unified body of believers to Christ crucified. It's not about the style of music. It's not about the order of service. It's not about what we wear. It's not about what we say other than Christ crucified. When we realize that it's through the blood of Christ that we live, it's through the blood of Christ that our sins are forgiven, there is power in the blood of Jesus Christ and when we realize that if it's not for the blood of Christ we are lost and without hope but through him through him we are saved we are pardoned we are forgiven we are granted eternal life we are victors through Jesus Christ when we get to that point that we don't worry about what songs we sing or what is said or who's up here or who's not or, or what's being, uh, I don't know, just whatever we consider church and we get back to the very basics and the very fundamentals of Christ crucified that we live in him we live and move and have our being that there is nothing else in this world that's more important than having a, a relationship with Jesus Christ there's nothing more important and I will promise you this when that trumpet sounds and you meet the Lord in the air you will have no regrets that you ever served him I don't want to be one of those that when the trumpet sounds that they're here and they're full of regret because other things became more, more important than serving him. And here's the truth about unity. You say, well, well okay, I, I think I'm going to go to the store today. Publix is having a sale. They're a BOGO. Buy one, get one on, on unity. For all of you that are watching, Publix is a grocery store here in Florida. Unity is in, it has to be intentional. You have to work at being unified. 
I'm going to give you an example. Have you ever ran across somebody that just drove you nuts? You're saying, yeah, I'm staring at him right now. Here's what Paul told the church in Ephesus, Ephesians 4, 3. Endeavoring, don't you love that? Endeavoring, it's a continual word. You didn't endeavor, you haven't endeavored. You're endeavoring, which means you're continuing to keep the unity of the Spirit. There's that word unity. You're endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That word bond simply means when you, you ever use super glue on anything? I have used super glue on things that is so powerful that if you put two pieces of wood together and you glue them and you put a and, and, and you hold them together until it's thoroughly dried, that bond will not break. You say, well, I can tear them apart. Yes, I've torn them apart, but it didn't, it didn't tear with the bond. It tore some other place. This, this word, bond, what he is saying is the bond of peace. Peace. Being at peace with your fellow man. Being at peace with God. Being at peace with yourself. When you are endeavoring, you're continuing to work at, at being, uh, being unified for the common cause in the bond of peace. And when you have peace, it will form and forge the, the body of Christ together that nothing can separate them. The bond of peace. Bond, that which holds us together. It's the unity of the Spirit. We have one Spirit. We're all baptized into one body in one Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. And it's that eternal perspective that should prioritize our relationships. Even those that you don't see eye to eye on. Because the reality is, no one in this world is going to see everything the way you do. Isn't that amazing? How many people are wrong? So what is, what is Paul trying to help us understand? That our personal opinions really don't matter as much as endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Because it's the Spirit that leads us and guides us into all truth. My friends, it, it, it's fine. It's okay. It is completely proper to have disagreements. You're not going to agree on a lot of things. You know, if my wife walks in and I'm watching a movie, she'll say, why are you watching that for the 15th time? It's like, because I forgot to see something in it. I watch movies over and over and over again because I want to memorize them. We don't agree on sometimes on the, on the movies we want to watch. That's okay. We don't argue about it. She just looks at me and I change the channel. So... How do you endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace? It comes through an understanding of mind and heart. It can't just be in the mind. It has to be in your heart. You have to live it. You have to, you have to understand it right here. 
that there is nothing, I mean nothing, nothing, nothing that is more important than eternity. Scripture says, what has a man gained if he gains the entire world and loses his soul? My friends, there is nothing more important than eternity, not only for you, but for those around you. And when we are unified, and I'm not just talking about First Alliance, I'm talking about God's people. This is a time, there is a call of the Spirit that is speaking to the hearts of God's people around the world to rise as one. Could it be the great end gathering before the Lord returns? I don't know, but I do know this. When God's people rise, there's nothing that can stop them. There's no army that can stop them. There's no political agenda that can stop them. There is nothing greater. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. In fact, the the adversary, the... the, uh, the, with the mark of the beast and, and, and the Antichrist can't even rise to power until the church is gone. Because the church is stronger. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. So my friends, let's, let's encourage one another. Let's love one another. Let's bless one another. Let's agree to disagree on minor issues, but focus on what is really important. And that is the eternal perspective of Christ crucified. I'm going to ask our praise team to come back because I'm finished. So would you stand with me for a moment? So here's Shadrach, Meshach, and Bendigo. Evidently, they were buddies. They hung out together. We first find them in jail with, when they were young teenagers. And yet later on, as adult men, I presume with families, with children. When the cry went out that you're going to serve this God and not your God, they stood unified. I wonder sometimes, were they in complete harmony on everything? I doubt it. Do you think some of them were wrong on some issues? Probably. But when it came to the important thing, when it came to the primary focus of hero Israel, the Lord our God is one, and, we, and you will not worship any other God. You'll have no other God before him. When, when, it came, when push came to shove, all three stood unified. Their differences were secondary or tertiary, but the primary focus was Yahweh is our God and we will bow to no one else. If you want to see revival, if you want to see revolution, if you want to see real change, my friends, it's not going to come through Tallahassee or Washington, D.C. or any other place uh, where men have power. I'm looking at the power source. I'm looking at the change agent of the world. It's the blood 
bought believers of, of Christ. It's those that have been redeemed. It's those that have been given not only the power, but given a great commission to go out and turn the world right side up for him. And if we want to be part of that, if you want to be part of that change, then you have to get to the place that your personal opinions are secondary or, or, or tertiary. They're fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, way down the line. And your primary focus is Christ. And when, when God's people become unified in seeing the will of God perform, amazing things happen. How many are with me? Would you agree with me as one? Father, right now.